We've been studying 1 Peter, uh, and now we're going to open up and look at 2 Peter, the second epistle written by Peter. Um, So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles uh, to follow along. I'll have the verses up on the screen as well, Uh, but I'd I'd encourage you to just follow along in your personal Bibles as well. I've I've entitled or kind of captured, I think, a big premise or a big tone that's set by Peter putting you into remembrance. It's something he is telling his writers or his readers of this letter um, to remember certain things. And I think it'll make more sense when we go through the study, but it's things for these individuals to remember. So I think that's just kind of a little subtitle. Um, the author, the person that wrote it was uh, Apostle Peter. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this letter. The approximate date that it was written was between 65 and 68 A.D. That's based on uh, his, his death, but also when he visited Rome. He is writing this letter in prison, writing this letter to certain individuals. It was written to, I believe, the same Christians that were scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor. We read that in 2 Peter 3, verse 1. It says, This second epistle, this is the second letter, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He wrote to the, if you remember 1 Peter, he wrote to uh, the the churches uh, of Asia Minor. He's saying here in the second letter that, I, this is my second one that I also write to you now. So I think it's the same group of individuals, the same Christians, the same churches in that area that he's writing to in this second letter. The primary theme of this, of this letter is that God's grace will transform Christians and to live a certain way, live righteously unto God. And that despite anything that happens to them, if they follow what God has for them, they will be blessed. But you have to remember these things. And this letter is just saying, remember the things I told you about in that first letter. This grace that God gives us produces qualities that ultimately result in us having fruitful lives, us sharing the gospel, us helping other people have that same salvation that we have once received. So these are the three things that I think kind of over the overarching points of, of, of the breakdown of the second chapter, of the, or the first chapter of the second letter uh, from Peter. I think it just has his initial greeting, the first two verses. Then we'll look at God's grace, how it results into godliness if we obey uh, with him through faith. And then ultimately, I think he just reminds the church of certain things. And we'll, break, we'll go through these three uh, topics this afternoon or this evening. So I'd like to start off by reading the first two verses, his initial greeting. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. One thing I think is important to note is, just as a side, he addresses this himself first as a servant. First, not apostle, servant. I may be reading a little bit into it, but he addresses himself as a servant first. And I think that's interesting. If we're going to be a Christian, the first thing we have to do is serve. The very first thing. And I think Peter recognized that. And he may not have intentionally wrote it that way, but it's written that way. He wrote, first was a servant, and then he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. I just thought that was interesting as I've been mulling over what I wanted to present tonight, is that we're to serve first. He's also writing to them that have obtained. 
individuals who have obtained salvation, people who have already put on Christ. We're talking to Christians here. This is a, the churches in the area. These people have obtained Jesus Christ, obtained that precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the way we receive that salvation is through what? That righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So how do we become righteous? We become righteous through our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he continues on and he says, Grace and peace be multiplied. The grace of God and the peace that we get by obeying that form of doctrine, by being buried with Him in baptism, by God's grace we are saved, and ultimately we have peace with God. But he says, it's multiplied unto you. Well, how? How is that multiplied? How is that grace and peace multiplied to you? It's multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we, by the grace of God, we are saved and have a relationship with the Father, and that can be multiplied by knowing who God is and knowing who Christ is. And I think it's important for us to point at the fact that we have to diligently seek Him. We have to know who He is, have to want a relationship with God in order for us to have peace multiplied in our life. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that we have, I know that we have to diligently seek Him. If we want peace with God, He's bestowed that grace on us by sending His Son. If we want to have peace with God, what we'll do is diligently seek Him by knowing and discovering and learning about who Jesus Christ is. Continuing on in our chapter, verse 3, uh, through uh, verse 11, we'll kind of break it up in different segments, but verse 3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to the glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us ex- exceeding, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Um, something to point out here is that it talks about the divine power of God that He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How has He given us all things that pertain unto life? He's given us His Son. That spiritual life. That we were now we were dead in sin, but now we have been able to take on His righteousness, His glory, take on His Son by Him covering our sins Therefore, He has given us all things that pertain unto spiritual life. And because of that, we too can be godly. We put on Christ. He blots out our sins. He washes us white as snow so that we can be in the presence of God. We can be in the presence of His majesty because we're godly. And we do that by knowing who He is. Romans 8 verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we obtain being godly, and we have Jesus giving us spiritual life. We have to not live in the flesh, but we have to live in the Spirit. And when we live in the Spirit, we are His, and we are godly. And if we live in the flesh and decide to do the things of the flesh... We're not in Him. And I think Peter here is telling us, or telling the churches here, but also to us, that, we, that we've been given everything. We've been given all the tools. God has sent His Son down to this earth to die for our sins, 
to be godly, to be with him, ultimately. Um, He continues on and he talks about how that we are giving great and precious promises. And I think at the time that Peter is writing this, he's saying, guys, we've, we've, Remember the prophets? Remember all the things they've prophesied about, about the Messiah coming one day, taking our sins away from us? We've been given these, these promises. We've been promised this. And he says that by those promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature. We might be ones who might be able to receive that blessing that came from those prophecies. That we might be partakers of God, the, the divine nature of God. Be part of Him. Be part of His Because what we've done is we've escaped the corruption. And John 3 verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We've escaped that sort of corruption in the world by turning our life over to Jesus Christ so that we can be partakers of that divine nature. But that's us putting away that escaped, or escaping that corruption, that life of sin. And he's saying, remember guys, we are given promises of Jesus. And we've obeyed that form of doctrine. We're partakers of that divine nature if we have given up that, that, that corruption that's in the world. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you want to open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And, he, and you hath he quickened, or has he resurrected, who, you being who, were dead in your trespasses and sins, where in times past... You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that the Spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. We one time were in this corrupted world, but because of the promises and because of us making a decision to be partakers of that divine nature, we now can be forgiven of those sins. And I think Peter's here trying to explain that to them. Is that we no longer live that type of life. But we have, to be, we have to keep in mind that we have escaped that. We're not to go back to it. I think of an individual who might, and, and we don't really want this to happen, but someone who escapes prison. They don't want to go back. That's the whole point of them leaving, right? And if we're going to escape, and I hate to, parallel that to our Christianity, but we really need to not go back to that. We've escaped that corruption. And when you do that, you'll find peace and joy in your life by leaving that corruption and coming to God, being partakers of that divine nature. Let's read verse 5 and 6 and 7. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. He says, giving all diligence. And he says, to add to your faith, virtue. Or moral goodness. Or a compass that directs your paths. But he says, give all diligence. And I think that means we have to make every effort that we have to supplement our faith or to continue adding to our faith by these things. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. That we add to our faith these things. Moral goodness, knowledge, understanding, temperance, having self-control, one that controls yourself. Uh, Patience, to have that endurance to run this race in life. That we might be godly, 
or revere God and His holiness and His severity and His goodness. That we have brotherly love, love the Christians, love the people, and that we have that agape love, charity. That we want people saved. We want, to, we want people to go to heaven. So therefore, we will give all diligence. We will work hard and we will intentionally go out and do this and add to our faith these things. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you, the list we just read, if those things are in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first he gave us that list, what things to add to our faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, etc., etc. He says, if those things are in you and they abound, then you will not be barren or unfruitful. And I think that's interesting. Because you can have some of those qualities in you, but if they're not in you and they don't abound, then you won't be fruitful. First he says, if those things are in you. Then he says, if those things are in you and they abound. I find that interesting, the way he words that. Not only those things have to be in you, but secondly, they have to abound in you. They have to multiply in you. And then you won't be unfruitful. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul's writing here that he wants to know who Jesus is. And we, we, we're not fruitful by knowing or having knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know who Jesus is. He intentionally wanted a relationship with Jesus. And we, we know him or get to know him by studying and doing the things that, that, that are in this, in this book. Knowing who Jesus Christ is. And I think that when Peter's writing to these individuals and he's telling them, saying, for if those things are in you and they abound in you, you won't be unfruitful by knowing who Jesus Christ is. And we as a people, as a church, as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we have to want to know him like Paul did and like Peter's telling these individuals. You don't want to be unfruitful. Let these things abound knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 9, 10, and 11. But he that lacketh those things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do those things or do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, if those things are in you and they abound, you will not be unfruitful. Then he says, but if you lack those things, you're blind. You've forgotten. Remember, he's talking to these Christians, people who have put off that immorality, people who have decided to not live a certain way. He says, but if you're unfruitful, you lack in these things and you're blind. You've forgotten your way. You've forgotten what you're supposed to do. He says, wherefore the rather, is alternatively, otherwise, make your calling and election sure. Be confident in your faith. Be grounded and rooted in the Word of God. Know your calling. Know what substance is. Know your faith in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that when you do those things, when you add your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, and you go down that list and you add those things, you shall never fall. 
It's a continual thing. And Peter is reminding them that they have to do those things. To never forget. He says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That those things, when we ultimately get to heaven, we want to be ministered abundantly into that kingdom. And from what I've studied, this is where it kind of gets a little interesting about people believing in multiple rewards, different levels of heaven. And that's a whole subject for another time. But what I do know is I want to enter into heaven, that everlasting kingdom, but to do it more abundantly sounds a lot, sounds really great too. And I'm just going to leave that there. But he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into that everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I want to get to heaven. I definitely want to get to heaven more abundantly. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Part of what we need to do about making, uh, giving diligence to make our calling sure and or our election sure is that we have to examine who we are. We have to examine ourselves, examine our faith, where we're at in life, what we really believe in, what truth really is. And we do that by opening our Bibles and studying the Word of God. And I think Peter here is saying, you, gotta, you have to look at yourself. Look at your faith. Look at what's been taught. Let's remember these things. This is where Peter starts reminding the church of those things, about wanting to get to heaven. Let's talk about what we've learned before. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And that's a lot of King James about tabernacles and things like that. And I want to break it down just a little bit. But he says, first off, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. He says, I don't want to just give up or, or, or stop. It's not, I'm not beating a dead horse. I don't want to stop bothering you about this. I want you to remember these things that you, because you know those things and you've been established. You've obeyed the form of doctrine they've talked about. You've obeyed Jesus Christ. You've dedicated your life to His cause and to want to serve Him first and foremost and glorify Him. You've been established in that truth. You know what it is. He says uh, in, in Ephesians, 4 verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, says, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. You've been established. You, you're not tossed to and fro. You're not hearing other doctrines of men where they're going to shift you very easily. You're established. You know the truth. Remember these things. He says, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up, to cause you to think, to cause you to remember, to remember the things that we've talked about by putting you in remembrance these things. And he says knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And I think what he's doing here, he's remembering what he talked about with Jesus. And John chapter 21, verse 18 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this is Jesus speaking to, to Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and have a, another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. And Jesus is telling Peter what's going to happen to him ultimately uh, when Peter dies, is that he's going, to be he's going to be crucified. 
He's going to be taken to a place that he doesn't want to go. Signifying by what death he should glorify God. And I think when Peter writes is that he's going to put off this old tabernacle. He's telling these people writing from prison saying, there's going to come a day where I'm going to die. And I think he's at the tail end of his life. He doesn't quite know that, but he, I imagine he has a feeling. He's in jail. And he's saying, when I put off this tabernacle, even the way that Christ has showed me, I just want you guys to remember these things that we've talked about. And I think he's also referencing his first letter. Remember these things. To put on those, that list of items. Put on those things. To serve God. To be a servant. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I think that's just a reminder for all of us is this tabernacle, this body, this flesh will die. But if we remember the things that Peter is telling them to remember, if we remember how to live and to, to, to shine the light of Christ and to, to be his servant, we don't have to worry about this tabernacle because we're going to go to a place that's not built with hands that will live and be eternal. And I think Peter is trying to tell them and remind them of that. He says, moreover, additionally, I will endeavor that you might be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunning, uh, cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. First, I'd like to point out the fact that he's used this remembrance. In verse 12, he says, remembrance of these things. In verse 13, putting you into remembrance Verse 15, to have these things always in remembrance. He wants them to remember these things. This is his, last, this is his letter to these individuals, his second letter. He says, just, just remember these things. I want to bother you with this because I want you guys to think about these things. I want you to remember them. Keep them always in remembrance that they weren't just people who followed some fable. They weren't just into guys just thinking to make up some religion. No, these were guys who were eyewitness testimonies, eyewitness accounts of his majesty, Jesus Christ ascending up into heaven, walking with this man, talking with this man, touching this man, serving this man, watching this man perform miracles, raising the dead. It wasn't just a, a fable. It wasn't a, a story that was told at night. This was a real guy. Remember that. And I think that's what Peter is trying to tell them. He says, for he received from God the Father, meaning Jesus received from God the Father, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice came, which came from heaven, we heard. And when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter, James, and John were witness, or witnesses of that transfiguration where Jesus ascends up into heaven. We can read that account in Matthew 17 if you want to write that down and read it a little later. But they were eyewitnesses to this account. And he's saying, it wasn't just some made-up thing, guys. It was a real event. Something that really did happen and people really did see and really did touch. Really did witness. We heard the voice of God. And I just think it's interesting that he, he goes from telling them not to, to remember these things, but also to remember that this isn't just made up. And you have to keep in mind that this is... 30 or so years after the death of Jesus Christ, really following Christ and, and not doing the, the old law, but doing this new law is still a newer concept. 
to these individuals. And for him to say, this is not just made up. This is real stuff. Remember that. Remember that when someone's persecuting you, when someone's trying to make fun of you or trying to do things or trying to hurt you in some way. Remember those things, that you're not just dying for someone's made-up story. You're dying for the real Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 19, he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you, you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. First off, he says, we have a more sure word. We have also, not only to this eyewitness account that we saw, we also have something else. We have a sure, a more sure word. We have the word of God. We have the letters written. We have the testimonies written. And for us today, it's not just an eyewitness account. It's written down for us, for us to study, for us to learn of people in old time. And we're to search that diligently. He says, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Now, Jesus came into this world to shine his light into a dark place where sins were just rolled forward. And thankfully, we have an advocate with the Father that our sins are not just rolled forward. Our sins are forgotten. Our sins are blotted out because He took that death. He took that penalty for our sins. His light shines in the dark place of our life. And I think Peter's here telling them, is reminding them, saying, that light shineth in a dark place. Let that light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And I think Peter's telling them, guys, don't forget that light shines. Don't let that light burn low. Because we not only have that testimony, we have that sure word of prophecy, that that prophecy was fulfilled. That light shines today and it forever will shine. And then he continues in verse 21, says, For that prophecy came not old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so he writes and he says, this wasn't just some made up thing. This wasn't just some prophecy. This was stuff that was true, real events. I think of in 1 Peter 1, verse 9, it says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was, uh, which was in them did, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. One of the things here that I read when I read 1 Peter 1 is the fact that these were individuals, these were prophets searching something. These were men who wrote these prophecies about Jesus Christ hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, right? And they were searching what? And what manner of time Jesus was going to come, the Messiah, the Son of God. This wasn't a made-up thing. This was real prophecies being told about a man to come to die for the sins of the world. And I think when Peter says this, this was not written old time by the will of man. This wasn't some made up cult and people decided to, to follow it. No, this was real stuff that came true because even those individuals who wrote it down searched for it. They searched diligently. 
They sought for the time that that Messiah was going to come. They didn't know. And if this was made up, they would know when Jesus would come, right? But they didn't know. And I think it's interesting. He says, this was of holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So that's, that's kind of the overview, or that's kind of the, what I took out from, from 2 Peter chapter 1. Is that first Peter wrote as, introduced himself as a servant. And I think just right off the bat that we need to be servants. We're a lot of things. We're moms and dads, brothers and sisters. We're all kinds of occupations. First, we have to be a servant. And I think Peter tells us, tells us that in his opening statement. We have to serve. Be willing to serve. Then he goes in and talks about how God's grace, we're saved through God's grace, and that we can be with Him, and that when we take on His qualities, we too are godly. And he wraps it up saying, guys, remember what we've talked about. Remember to add to your faith. Work diligently. Seek the Lord. And that this wasn't just made up stuff. This was real stuff that I, myself, Peter, witnessed and that prophets told about. It wasn't a made up thing. Remember these things. 